You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Improve Photography. Whether a beginning, advanced, hobbyist, or professional photographer, improvephotography.com is a photography blog you need to make part of every day. With photography news, tips, reviews, and other articles posted daily, it is the best way to improve your photography. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for joining. And today at the Roundtable, I have with me my friend and co-host of the Porto Session Podcast, Connor Hibbs. How are you doing, Connor? Doing really well, man. How are you doing today? Good, good. It's, uh, it's fun to get Glad together to and talk about photography. Heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You and, you know, 10,000 of our closest friends. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Private conversations here. Right, right. Uh, and kind of along those lines, today's episode is one that I wanted to do for a long time um, because I need help. <laughs> I, okay. I, I need someone to help me with with three-point lighting. It's a, it's a topic okay. I've heard discussed over and over, and I've dabbled in it. I've played around with setting this up, and but I, I know that you have this down, Connor. You have this mastered. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I kind of, I, I want to go through an episode where you're going to do like a personal training session for me <laughs> on three-point okay. lighting, and we're going to have we thousands of our closest friends join, uh, join in as we, as we talk about this. Um, so you Sounds ready to go good. with that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So first off, tell me what in the heck is three-point lighting and why or when would a portrait photographer want to use it? Um, So three-point lighting is about what you might expect. It's when a photographer uses three light sources. It doesn't necessarily need to be three of the exact same kinds of light, um, but uses three light sources to create a nice, natural, kind of classic, traditional-looking portrait. Um, So the, the... the main thing here is that to start this conversation is just talking about the different types of lighting terms when we're talking about multiple light setups. Um, so the first term that we're going to talk about is key lighting. A key light just means that that is your primary light source. You can make your key light, again, a, a speed light strobe, the sun, um, a reflector from the sun, even though that might be a little weird depending on how you use it. Um, <laughs> okay. It, it, just just whatever you are using to be the primary light for your image. Then from there you have a fill light, which is just going to be kind of uh, counteracting the shadows that are being cast from your key light. Um, so it's, it's, again, you can use any kind of light source. Usually the sun's a little bit hard because it's so high up in the sky, um, but you could use a, another speed light, another strobe, or even a, a reflector or other bounce card to fill in the shadows on the other side. And then for your third light in the three light, um, three point lighting setup, you have a hair light. Hair light is just what it sounds like. It's a light that's specifically for the hair. Positioning of that can kind of vary between having something that is directly overhead to what I tend to call edge lights or kickers. Um, and th- those are more kind of down pair. They're, they're, they're not hovering above the head. It's kind of at the side of the head lighting the side of the hair. Um, um, usually on the opposite side of the key light. So if you have the key light um, positioned to the subject's 45 degree angle on their right, you would put an edge light on the 45 degree angle, uh, or not 45 degree. Um, you would put the, the 
hair light edge light on the opposite <laughs> just directly across from it um so i, I man okay, degrees okay. are not working for me today <laughs> so hold hold on hold on hold on I, yes this, this is the this is probably why it's hard for me to understand yes okay there's okay. all these terms <laughs> these key light fill light hair light i kind of i i'm getting it like i i've read yes. stuff in the past and I, I get it key light i don't know why they can't just say like main light or <laughs> the main or I, i've actually heard it referred to as main light okay before. main That's light like not uncommon but to say main light key light is just a it seems like oh, go like a lot of photographers or the industry at whole they go after like how can we possibly use a different term here that no one else will understand what it is <laughs> so that so that it's, it seems confusing to people it's like it's almost deliberate it feels a lot of the time <laughs> to make it so that it's confusing like you even used the, the term kicker just now and yes. and there's mo- light modifiers there's snoots and grids and there's all these like all what, the terms what the <laughs> heck why do we have all, all of this terminology that's so different um okay you so, know go ahead so so at least as far as the key light and uh, the way to remember that as being your primary light is that that light is the key to lighting your image so okay. everything else is kind of complementing your key light so the key light is the the key to lighting the image properly okay um now before you move on if you'd prefer we can start referring to it as a main and i'll try to remember <laughs> to call it your main light instead oh <laughs> I mean, it might help. I don't know, but it's fine. We've <laughs> defined it now. And, and that's, that's kind of what I want to have come out of this episode is let's define all these things so that when they hear the actual word, and, and I don't think we should move away from the word that everyone uses. That's, it's going to be what they hear yeah. all the time. So it's more yeah. like we just need to make sure everyone understands what the word means, including me. I need to figure this out. So key light totally. is the main light. And you said, you mentioned 45 degrees off camera so tell me more about like where is that key light positioned um the what the 45 degrees means and how high in relation to this the model should it be all all excellent questions there so the 45 degree was just kind of it's in a realm of a type of key light that you would use um so in general your key light for most things is going to be on the side of you where you are on the camera. This is going to be hard to explain. Yeah. Um, Visuals help a lot. Sure. Audio is hard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so realistically, there are times when you want to use a key light behind. I don't want to talk about that and confuse the subject anymore. We're just going to talk about very basic lighting. So um, your basic key light, you're going to put anywhere from directly above your camera um, in front of the subject. Um, so that would be considered kind of a flat lighting. It's flat because it's not casting shadows in one direction or the other. Um, uh, and you okay. can kind of I'm glad you defined that, that because I, I've heard that term oh. a lot with flat lighting. And so I'm really yeah. glad you kind of defined that. That that's It's called flat because you don't see shadows on the face, which the yeah, only way to make that happen really is to have the light straight on the subject. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the non-flat lighting would be casting shadows, which help to define the shape of the face where um, not casting nearly as many shadows. You get a little shadow underneath the nose and underneath the chin. But otherwise, you don't really have shadows being cast across the face and it kind of flattens out the features of the face. Okay. That sounds worse than it is. It, it is actually an appealing way to light people sometimes. Uh, but that that's what that term means. OK, so you can have your key light straight on. But do you yes. recommend most of the time, if you can, if you if you have off-camera flash, you'd recommend not yeah. putting it straight on. Is that right? 
Um, it, it, it really, in that instance, I think that it comes up to artistic expression. Okay. Um, there for a three point lighting setup, I think that yes, you're, you're going to have it not directly overhead because if you're flattening out the light, but with the single light source, there's no reason to have that second light, the fill light right. in place. Okay. So we'll just talk about if we move that key light just a little bit off axis about the furthest you're going to want to move it is to your subjects, 45 degree angle. Okay. Um, so like the 45 degrees from where their face is pointed it doesn't necessarily have to have their voice face pointed towards the camera but the reason for that is because at 45 degrees you're in the realm of a lighting pattern called rembrandt lighting where you're essentially casting a shadow from the nose that then goes down and connects with the shadows on the side of the cheek to create this kind of highlight of triangle on the shadow side of the face Uh, um, right where their cheekbone and eye is if that makes sense okay and and i've heard it suggested to me before that the key light should the nose of the model should follow to the key light like whatever wherever their nose is pointing that should point if you drew an imaginary line from their nose over to the key light that would be the straight line is that good advice Um, it, I, I feel like that can be confusing to think of it that way. Okay. The, the way that I like to teach it is just to talk about the clock that is around the person. So the person, wherever their nose is pointing is 12 o'clock. Okay. And the furthest in either direction that you're going to want to move that key light on the clock is to 45 degrees from 12 o'clock. So what is that? 130 or... Okay. So it could go on either side of their nose. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. But the the um, so their face doesn't necessarily need to point directly at the light. Um, that's a good way to kind of start out with off camera lighting and um, get familiar with uh, uh, lighting patterns that look really nice and kind of be able to play with contrast with ensuring that you're always going to have nice flattering light on their face. But you don't necessarily have to constantly point the nose the person's nose towards that light. Okay, all right. How do you decide which side of the nose? You're going to put your key light. Uh, That's totally just personal opinion. I have a tendency um, in the past year and a half. I almost always place my light off to the camera right side. I don't know why. Regardless of like which direction the model might be turned. um, Well, usually I also then turn my model in that same general direction. Um, a, A good rule of thumb there is if somebody has long hair, you generally want to have the light on the side that their hair is parted. Um, So you're not then catching their bangs and casting shadow underneath the bangs onto their face from your key light. Um, But that's, that's, I break that rule a lot. I think that it's one of those (laughs) rules that is meant to be broken. Um, But if you're looking for a good general rule of thumb about which side to place your light on, whichever side they part their hair on is going to be a good starting point because you're going to eliminate the shadows that would be cast by their bangs otherwise. Okay. All right. Any other things that do you do you take a shot and look at it with the key light and then say, no, I think I want to try it on the other side. Or is it just like experimental from there to kind of see where you're going with the image with positioning the key light? At at the point where I am now with my work, um, I shoot stuff kind of the same way over and over. I, I like having that kind of consistency. So to me, I I 
have kind of ingrained these lighting patterns to the point where it feels very natural. I don't generally switch from one side to the other unless I'm like trying to force myself to get out of the rut of what I would normally do. Um, then I'm making very intentional breaking the habit decisions, not, oh, this doesn't look as good as the other direction. Um, but I think for starting out that it's a good idea to try playing around with it um, on both sides. Um, the the other thing that we, you had kind of mentioned that I haven't gotten to yet was uh, how how high above the model you want this to be. Mm-hmm. In general, um, my rule of thumb here is that you want the center of the modifier to be about six inches to a foot above eye level um, in comparison to where, where they are. So if you have the light further away, that means that it's going to have to be even higher up um, just because of trigonometry. If you're keeping the same general angle of being six inches to a foot above eye level, um, then the stand is going to have to be higher because as you move the light further away, it will then be comparatively lower on the person's face. Does that make sense? Yeah, Am I yeah. getting too technical yeah. here? Okay. Um, and then, uh, another thing to kind of bring up is talking about the, the distance of this light from from your model. And that is, again, going to kind of be something that you should play with. I, I have a tendency. I've had models tell me that I am one of the only people that they know that puts light modifiers as close to them as I do. <laughs> okay. I like to have my light modifiers right up in a model's face because, um, well, because of two reasons. So the, the closer you get that light to the model... Um, the faster that light is going to fall off to darkness. So if I put the light right next to the subject's face and expose for, for the part of the face that is the brightest, uh-huh. then the this gets really physics <laughs> and technical and maybe I shouldn't be going this deep into it. Um, but it, it will make the lower half of the body down to their feet very dark because the light is falling off more rapidly. Where if you have that light further away from your subject, um, that light is going to fall off a lot more gradually, but it will also change the quality of light. So the reason I place it close is because I like the quality and the fall off of a light that is really close. So quality is, um, it is the way that the shadows are cast on a person's face. So if you, have hard light if you've heard that term before Uh hard light just means that you have almost an immediate transition from highlight to shadow Um, so there's a very hard line between the two of those where if you have soft light that means that you have a comparatively large modifier that the edges of those modifier are essentially wrapping around some of the areas that are casting shadows and partially lighting them so you have a much more gradual this transition between the high the brightest part of the highlight and the darkest part of the shadow okay all right so um, so soft... i i like really soft light with fast fall off in my work but that's something that i've only found out through experimentation and you're getting that because you're using a modifier on the key light what modifier do you like um ooh that's that is a big question um i i generally i because i shoot in studio a lot i love soft boxes um i like soft boxes over umbrellas just because um, a soft box has a little bit of a lip to it that helps you to can kind of kind of contain the direction that the light spills off so i can very specifically place my light um in fact, my doodad is going to be talking about a specific brand of softboxes uh-huh. that I like a lot. Okay. Um, but before we get to that, we'll, we'll just say softboxes can vary very widely um, between 
just a regular square to a rectangle to really long skinny rectangles which are also referred to as strip boxes um, to octagon shapes to practically a circle um, I really like to use I, I have a 36 by 48 inch softbox that I will use a lot and I have a 60 inch octobox that I use quite frequently and um, then but my third favorite would be a, a strip box, which is about 12 inches by 56 inches. Sorry, I, I realize I'm talking inches and not everybody is yeah. American standard. Um, <laughs> I wish that I was not dumb to the right way to do things, but I right. am. So sorry about that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I, in general, if I'm directing people towards um, what modifier they might want to start with, if they don't have any yet, I think that a shoot through umbrella is fantastic. Sure. Um, it's just kind of a, a translucent material that you just point your flash or speed light, um, your strobe, whatever it is, into there, and it it shoots through. It creates a really nice quality of light. Um, you're just not going to have the same kind of control that you would have with a softbox. But at the same time, it, if you're not shooting in a studio, that's not going to matter nearly as much. Yeah. And compared to the price of even cheap softboxes, umbrellas are ridiculously inexpensive. You can get a decent size one for um, 10 to 20 bucks somewhere in there versus an inexpensive, decent softbox is going to run you at least 80 to a hundred dollars. Right. Okay. When you say control the light, um, yes. I'm taking that to mean like I I've shot with, with both of them. I shot with umbrellas and I've shot with uh, softbox. I prefer the softbox too. And I, when you say control, what I'm inferring from that or my experience has been it just with the umbrella light sprays everywhere. It's just going yes. all over the place. And if I have an objective, so I've, I've tried to do some shooting where I eliminate the background, like make it go black. And yeah. um, then you like without a, a black background in the back of them, I just want to put enough space between them and like a wall behind them that all the light kind of dies before it makes it to that wall and that wall doesn't get illuminated. So then the subjects lit from the flash, but the wall has no light and therefore is, it makes a black background for the portrait. And with an umbrella, yeah. that is so hard to do because that light is spraying everywhere. It's everywhere. bouncing off of all the walls in the room and it ends up I like I couldn't make it happen even in a fairly long like the room itself was deep enough that I probably had yeah. 20 maybe 30 feet from the model to the back wall and with an umbrella it still was being lit I couldn't it still was I couldn't cause it to issues. work yeah is that what you mean by and, control and, yeah and and with that particular issue that you were talking about there are ways to kind of get around that and get what you're looking for um, but it's a lot easier um, the, essentially what you're talking about is it, I've heard it compared to water before. So light is similar to water in that um, if you have a sheet of water heading towards you um, and it's going to get everywhere because it's whatever, a wave, um, that would be the equivalent of an umbrella. It's a wave hitting you. It's going to get everywhere. It's going to surround you. You're not really going to be able to control that. Where if you were to then put up some walls on either side that are going to break those way that wave, then you're going to have water only coming through a very specific area, and that's essentially what we're trying to do. We're putting a lip on the modifier that is just going to prevent some of the light from spilling to other areas in the room. That is something that you don't get from an umbrella because an umbrella is open, and uh, there's just no real way to control it in that same way. So it's it's just a matter of being able to control where the light is falling and where you don't want it to fall. Okay. So before I forget, then if I want to get yes. that dark background, what's the secret I'm missing? 
Um, so the the secrets that you're missing here are are talking about your inverse square law. So if the further you have your umbrella from your subject, the longer the distance, yes. the larger the distance it takes to double um, the fall. Uh, Gosh, physics and my brain is not working super well this morning. Um, <laughs> so essentially, light has an exponential falloff ratio. So the the every time you double the distance between your light and your subject, you are actually quartering the amount of light that is hitting that area that has been doubled in distance. So if you have your light really far away from your subject, then your light is going to fall off a lot more gradually and thus is going to then spill around the rest of the room. If you have your light modifier very close to your subject, that doubling distance is going to be a very minuscule amount of distance, and as such, um, everything else will fall off darker. This all has to do with also exposing properly for that light, because the closer you get the light to your subject, the brighter it's going to be, so then you have to stop down, but that's going to stop down all the other light in the room. So that is one contributing factor there. The other thing that you can do is, if you don't have a modifier that has a lip on it in that same way, you can actually use what's called a flag. So a flag is essentially a negative light modifier. It's it's a black piece of foam core or the black side of a reflector, um, something that you can use to kind of block off the areas that that light is going off in the distance that you don't want it to go to. Um, so flags and paying attention to your inverse square law to make sure that you have your light close enough to the subject so light falls off more rapidly is going to help even with an umbrella to keep a room darker. Okay. All right. So key light, I'm just going to recap here to make sure we've got it right. It's the main light. (laughs) Yes. It's it's probably going to be the brightest one. We didn't talk about that, but it's probably going to be the brightest one in the setup. Is that right? Um. Key light or hair light tend to be the brightest. Okay. Um, I, uh, I've seen different schools of thought with that. On the front side of your subject, yes, that that will be the brightest part. the The main portion that's oh, okay, um, gotcha. Lighting your subject. Yeah, you might um, end up having a key light key hi, uh, higher power output just to get the effect you want, but it's not going to show up as bright in the image. Is that what you're saying? Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if you can, off camera flash is is probably more flattering. Definitely. Um, because it doesn't produce as flat a lighting. It has, it causes shadows to be on the face. Get it as let's talk about that really quickly. Actually, um, just, just a a quick point about the benefit of having off camera flash. Okay. Um, so I was talking about shooting with flat, flat light where I have the light directly over my camera. Um, what I, I do not mean when I say that is I, I do not mean, having it on the camera itself directly above it. Um, The reason that on-camera flash tends to be less appealing um, isn't because of the flat light necessarily. It's actually because of the way that um, light the way that the shadows are going to be cast. So a shadow is always going to be cast in the exact opposite direction of where the light source is. And when you have a light directly on axis with your camera, such as an on-camera flash, you're going to create a shadow that is directly behind the subject and big. So it's going to look like a big silhouette shadow that's behind them on whatever is behind, uh, whatever wall or surface um, behind them is. So it, it you don't get 
you have unflattering shadows that happen behind them, where if you lift that light up just even six inches to a foot above where that on-camera flash would be, your shadows are then going to be cast downwards towards the ground instead of directly behind the subject. The other thing is that in general, the human eye is used to seeing light coming from up above down on a subject. And when you have an on-camera flash, that light is coming almost directly parallel with their eye level at most instances. So you don't have any of the normal shadowing that you would get underneath the cheeks and underneath the eye sockets, um, underneath the chin. It just looks a little bit weird and unnatural. So that's the, that's the main argument that I would say that even if you're going to have flat lighting, it's better to have flat lighting off camera rather than on camera. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, but it's, it's flat would be that the shadows are really not being produced to the sides of the face. Yeah. To one it's, direction or the other. On yeah. The face. yeah. Okay. All right. And then it should be six, six inches to a foot above the eyes of this model from, from the center of the, the modifier. Box. This, so something else that, um, okay. I will see people doing is like trying to lift their long 56 inch long by <laughs> 12 inch wide softbox, And they'll have the bottom of the modifier okay. six inches to a foot above the, the, the face. And, and that's not what I mean. I just mean from the center, because that's going to be the hottest point in any kind of modifier. It's going to be the brightest point. Okay. Um, so you want to make sure that the center of the modifier is six inches to a foot above okay. uh, the eye level. All right, good. And then close the distance as much as you possibly can between the modifier and the model. Yeah? If if you want to shoot the way that I do, then yes. <laughs> okay. If you want that effect of uh, the light falling off pretty quickly from the face to anywhere else, the, the rest of the body. Yeah. So if and, they want to do a creating- full body shot... That's maybe you're going to need to pull the modifier and the light further back away from the model. Yeah, exactly. The, you, if you're doing a full body shot or a group shot or something like that, you actually want slower fall off. So having that light be further away, it's going to make it um, make those that transition from highlight to shadows a little bit shorter. So it'll be a little bit harder of a light source, um, but it will be a much more gradual fall off and you'll be able to light the full body or a group or whatever that may be. All right. Okay, I think I got the key light. I think I think I understand okay. the key light. That's good. Um, and we're going to talk about kind of how you're going to set up and and get the exposure and stuff in the second half. Um, but yeah, let's go, let's move to the fill light next. So tell me about fill light. Same kinds of questions about like where is it positioned, what modifiers are on it, that kind of stuff. Um. So so fill light. I I actually almost hesitate to call it a fill light versus just calling it a fill because I, I, hmm, how to, how to say this? So you can absolutely use a light to use, uh, to be your fill light. Um, but sometimes using a second light in order to get it down, like powered low enough, you're going to have to have a lot more room to work within. Okay. And if you're tight on, if you're working in a tight space, using two lights as a key light and a fill is not always the most practical. One thing that you can do though, is use a reflector instead of a light to kind of just fill in some of those shadows. So the whole idea here is that the shadows that are being cast by the key light are going to be um, very wide in dynamic range. So especially the further off axis you go, with your light, the more shadows you're going to be casting and the darker those shadows are going to be. So this second light in the three point lighting setup is just going to be there to kind of soften those shadows a bit. You're, you're, you want to have detail in them that 
still you don't want them to be quite as dark so you're going to use either a second light source or a reflector to kind of just bring some more light into the shadow side of the face um, so you're still casting shadows that create shape and dynamic to the face without entirely um without having really dark and dramatic light all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. So in a tight space, you're, you prefer to use a reflector and just kind of Absolutely. bounce light that's bouncing around the area back onto the subject, the model on the shadow side so that it just softens yeah. it a little bit more, makes it so that that transition from light to dark isn't quite as severe. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the dark darkest points of the shadow on the face are never quite as dark. Um, that now one thing to make note of is that you have some advantages and drawbacks to using a light versus, uh, or using a reflector rather than a light. The biggest drawback being when you use a light, you can actually change that ratio of highlight to shadow to the point where you actually flatten the light out again, where you're essentially um, using the second light to cancel out the shadows right, of the first light right. and the first light to cancel out the shadows of the second light. So it's a different type of flat light that you can create. Okay. And that's something that you can't actually do with any kind of reflector. Sure. You can't do that with a reflector because it's just bouncing back whatever light is happening to hit it at the time. Um, so you're, you're never going to have the same intensity of light you're not going to have as many photons bouncing off of this light that it because those photons have spread out already um so you won't have nearly as much light bouncing back as you could potentially have with a second light um but the, the different circumstances will demand one thing or the other in this instance where we're talking about usually people when they're starting out with a three light setup shooting in a studio setting aren't necessarily going to have the kind of room to set up multiple lights in the kinds of positions that you need them to. Um, so when I'm setting up a reflector, I just like to have it maybe just barely outside of my shot, whatever my composition is going to be. I want to have it as close as I can possibly get it and kind of, almost at the person's 90 degree angle on the opposite side of the key light. Um, so I, I want to have them have it around that 90 degree and then kind of angled back towards the light a little bit. So you, you can kind of tell once you've caught the reflection versus when you are bouncing in a different direction. You kind of want to make sure that that reflector is aimed directly back at the person's shadow side of their face that is being cast from the other other light that's there. Okay. Did that make sense? It, yeah, I think so. It, yeah, the, the the reflector, you you got to play with it enough so that it actually does get some reflection from the key light. Like it's, yeah, it's exactly. actually hitting, some of the key light might actually be hitting the reflector and, and lighting it up and then uh, make sure that it's reflecting onto the shadow area of the face. Is that right? Yeah, Okay. exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, and that might be one of the mistakes that I've made as I've used reflectors was I probably didn't make sure that I had some of the key light hitting the reflector. Hitting. Yeah. I yeah. just was trying to capture whatever may be bouncing off of the model <laughs> and reflecting it back. And that's, uh, that's not enough to actually help much. So. No, no. And, and, um, you know, if, depending on the ref type of reflector that you're using, um, the, the different surfaces that you use are going to have different kinds of effects. So if you use uh, the, the white side of a five in one, um, that's going to be a, a much more subtle and nice looking light that you're going to 
get in in the reflection um but it's also going to absorb more of the light that it's reflecting so it's you're not going to be able to get the same kind of power output right, quote, right. Quote, from that as in comparison to using say the silver side of a reflector i i tend to still prefer if i'm using a reflector i try to use the white first uh, because i feel like the silver can look a little bit weird and punchy <laughs> okay. sometimes all right um Punchy just meaning like it, it has a weird kind of contrast that it will create in certain areas that I don't love. Um, but uh-huh. but the silver is also going to be what is considered what is called more efficient. So it will re- reflect more of that light back to your subject. So say if you're in the instance that you only have two lights and a reflector with you, you can still create a nice looking three point lighting that's going to get you kind of close to having that what is called a one to one ratio where you're completely canceling out the shadows um, from each light on either side. You're, you're going to be able to get a lot closer to that by using a silver reflector because it's going to reflect more light back onto your subject. Okay, what about the gold? That's in my five-in-one reflector. What about the gold? <laughs> ugh. Uh, uh, ugh. I, I absolutely hate the gold. Um, <laughs> okay. Is there a use uh, case other, for it? Uh, for me, no. For, for many <laughs> okay. people, yes. Um, the, the thing about a gold reflector is I think... I, the problem that I have with with the gold side of five in one reflectors is that it's very brassy. It's very yellow in tone. So when it reflects light, it doesn't look warm in the way that like a nice um, golden hour will look. It's uh-huh. it's not kind of this warm orangey tone. It it to me feels just almost like a sickly green tone of yellow that I just I absolutely don't like. Um, I've, I've seen it used to great effect. It just, for the way that I shoot, I have never been able to use it in a way that I think looks great. I would greatly prefer having maybe a copper reflector um, rather than a gold, but I have yet to, well, I've never really. Yeah, they don't have that but, in those five-in-ones. Uh, but <laughs> most five-in-ones, it's this like kind of brassy yellow tone that I just think looks ugly. Um, I actually, in a workshop that I did not too long ago, I was ranting about this and showed some people and I had a couple of people in, in my workshop say like, actually, I like that. So it's, it is <laughs> personal preference. It's something that if you want to, yeah, if you want to experiment with, I'm not saying that you're wrong by any means, this is an art form, but um, I just, I absolutely hate it and have never found a use case in which I think it really does look great. Okay. So how are you holding up this reflector? If you're shooting by your you're using like a light stand and clamps yeah, or what yeah. is so, it? Um, I, I'll just use a five in one reflector with a light stand um, that I then clamp um, just with whatever plastic clamps I have laying around um, and I'll just clamp that on one side. I, it Just a little personal tip. It's much more useful if you clamp it on the side so that the stand is closer to you shooting rather than being away from you in shooting because then you can more easily maneuver it. You're, you're closer to it and you also won't potentially get it in the shot. You're, you're saying um, have the clamps that are on the light stand closest to you instead of having yeah, the light just, stand and the clamps, have, like the reflectors closer to you. And then at the end of the reflector is the, the light stand instead of that. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so just the way that you're placing this around the subject, just have the, the clamps and the stand on the side of the reflector that is closer to where you're shooting rather than having it. So it goes reflector to stand. Got it. Um, that's, that's a personal preference thing, but it just, it makes it a little bit easier to maneuver around rather than having to set down your camera, walk around to yeah. the other side of it, move it position and, and go back to the other side be like, Oh, did I get that? 
reflection right? Nope. Okay, got to walk back around to the other side. It, it just makes things a little bit more efficient and has made life much easier once I realized, oh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do this in my mind. <laughs> All right. It makes it easier to position. Okay. So, uh, and this thing is straight up and down. It's not tilted in yeah, any direction. Yeah. You straight up and down. Okay. Cause it's light stand. It, yeah. There, there, um, you can actually buy little tiny like reflector boom arms yeah. so you can get them at different angles and whatnot. And I, I could totally see use cases in which that would be valid if you want the light um, on the fill side to be coming a little bit more upward or something. I don't know the exact reason why I would spend the money for it personally, Okay, um, but there, there are reasons to do it. it and I've definitely considered getting one so I could have more variation in the direction that I point it. But I think in general, if you have a large enough five in one reflector, um, that it's, it doesn't matter quite so much. Um, one side note about this, when we're talking about five in one reflectors for this kind of use case, um, I, I really prefer having a rectangular modifier or not modifier rectangular reflector rather than a circular one, just because it makes it easier for me to clamp in, in, along the long side of that reflector circular ones become just a little bit more problematic and more difficult to to clamp to a light stand in Got that way it. yeah i only have a circular yeah. one as well I, I have a diffuser which okay i'm not going to confuse it by bringing that in <laughs> <laughs> the, i have a diffuser that's more oblong than it is circular but anyway um okay if you are going to use a light instead of a reflector I've heard yes. of like ratios. You mentioned a ratio before. One to one is equal fill, kind of cancels each other out. Uh, a two yeah. to one ratio would be like your your key light is twice as bright or twice as much twice power as, bright as your fill. As your fill. Yeah. What ratio, if you're going to use the light, what ratio do you think you're going for? Um, again, this is just going to depend on, on your use case scenario. Um, if I'm doing something that uh, oftentimes if I'm going to a three point lighting setup, it's going to be something that I, I want to have look more like a traditional headshot. Um, and for that, you usually don't want the shadow side to be too, too dark. So I'm, I'm trying to get around a two to one ratio. Um, I, I don't generally actually pay super close attention to that. I just, I, I, I understand the the logic behind that, and I think that it's good terminology to um, have an understanding of in case you're being an assistant to somebody. If they say, I want you to set this up in a two-to-one ratio, having an understanding that that means that your key light is twice as bright as your fill light is an important thing. But realistically, it's not the same as placing two lights kind of in the same place and setting one at the power setting one higher than the other. Um, if that makes sense, it, power output, the brightness and intensity of a light is going to be completely relative based on the placement as far as how close or how far away the subject is um, from the light itself. So I could have my fill light be at, at a two to one ratio when it's on full power and have my key light be at a quarter power because my key light is right next to the subject creating this soft light. And then I want my fill light to fill in the shadows everywhere else. I want it to be further away and filling in the shadows everywhere else. So um, it, it's kind of, it's important to understand that we're just talking about the relative power difference between the two of them, not so much the actual physical setting difference between the okay. two Okay. All right. So, but is there a starting, should you start with the power settings being, being that two to one, have your, your, your uh, key at, let's say an eighth and fill at a 16th and then play around with the distances and how the modifiers are and all of that and, and adjust yeah. from there. 
the the key term that you hit upon there that I think is really important is just saying play. Yeah. I, I think that this is something that's important to play with. If you're first starting out trying to set up a three point lighting setup, I would start by just having your two modifiers. Um, I, I would even say it's better to try and match. So if you're shooting with shoot through umbrellas, have the same shoot through umbrellas and have the two lights at the same height at the same distance on opposite sides of the subject at the same power output. And then you'll see that's what a one to one ratio looks like. Okay. And then turn one of them down a little bit and see, okay, like this is closer to a two to one ratio. Um, but it, it the the problem is because it's not super super precise if you're using light meters there is a way to definitively say no this is an absolute <laughs> right. two to one ratio right but people aren't going to necessarily do that when i'm when i'm sitting there and lighting i don't sit and say you know what this is not a perfect two to one i just say eh, i want this to be just a little bit brighter so let's move it in four inches closer um or let's turn up the power because i'm using strobes i have very small incremental differences that i can change and i'll just turn up the power a little bit until it feels right um, i'm i'm much more of a gut feeling kind of guy rather than learning the specific ratio and how to get exactly blah okay all right. If that makes sense. I think that makes sense. All right. So recapping, <laughs> fill light, <laughs> uh, just kind of opposite of key light, usually yes. half the relative power, which and factors like distance and the modifiers play a role there. So you got to play around with the power level of the light, the uh, distance of the light and the modifiers that are on the light to make it so that it roughly is about half as bright as uh, the key light. And then yeah. same same height as the key light. Right about, yeah. Yeah, about the same height. Mm -hmm. The middle of the modifier or reflector being uh, six inches to a foot above them. And uh, make sure if you're using a reflector that enough of the key light is actually, some of the key light is actually hitting the reflector so that you have light that's <laughs> reflecting onto the model. Uh, all yeah. Right. You know, that about cover it. Yep, I, I think that that goes through everything. Sorry, this is a long, detailed episode. No, no, I, I, this is what I was hoping for. I, I hope the listeners are enjoying it, but, you know, this is my oh, own little good. personal training session, so I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to go on to key light or hair light in a second, but first we need to thank an, uh, a sponsor for this episode, and that is Udemy. Master Photography is brought to you by Udemy, the largest marketplace for online learning. Whether you want to learn something new or just sharpen your skills, Udemy has an extensive library of over 65,000 courses taught by expert instructors. These are people that are experts in that specific course. Whatever course you're looking at, they have a world expert teaching that course. You'll find yourself thinking, I wish I could do that. Well, with Udemy, you can. From web development to digital marketing to Japanese cooking courses, Udemy has something for everyone. And while other online learning companies change charge hundreds of dollars per class, Udemy courses started at just $11.99. Plus, each course comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee for risk-free learning. Every day, students around the world choose Udemy to discover new passions, expand their skills, and even change careers improve your life through learning you can download the udemy app to learn anytime anywhere or visit www.udemy.ude.my uh, sorry let me say that again www.ude.my slash improve that's www.ude.my slash improve all right connor hair light. Well, I want to do the same yes. thing. Tell me 
where is hair light positioned? How do we position it? All, all that detail. Let's go through that. Okay, so so first I'm going to just start by talking about um, what has been traditionally considered a hair light. So so a hair light is its purpose is to give separation from the subject in the background. It gives a nice little halo of a, a rim of light around the subject. And traditionally, a hair light is supposed to be placed directly centered over the person's head um, and behind them. So so you want to essentially have this hair light in a flat light position except much higher above the person's head i i've found that that has kind of changed uh from uh, fallen out of vogue a little bit in recent years um and fallen way to to edge lights kicker um side lighting um, that is also kind of a hair light but not really a hair light um, so in general when you're when you're looking for this traditional hair light though it's really useful to have a boom arm of some sort that you can have the stand set off to the side of the background and um, then swing the light over the subject and raise that up so the the stand is out of the way of your image which is Actually, what I think it might be part of the reason why this has fallen out of vogue is it just creates another piece of equipment that you have <laughs> okay. to then buy. Right, I gotta go have a boom um, arm now. <laughs> yeah, now now I have to have a boom arm. So, what, just talking about this in general, the things that you're looking for, usually you want the the hair light or the edge light to be just a bit brighter than your key. Um, I don't know that I would say that it's necessarily a one to two ratio. You don't necessarily want it to be twice as bright as your key light, um, but I like to have it just a, a bit brighter than than my main light is um and i want it to just be directly overhead for a traditional hair light um the the key sign that you can see here if you turn off your other lights and take a picture with just your hair light going um you will see the the top of the head lit and both shoulders lit evenly if you don't have it perfectly centered over your subject um, then one shoulder is going to be lit just a little bit brighter than the other and that's going to be the side that it, it's a little bit more towards that side than the other if that makes sense yeah okay so um, so okay you're not wanting yeah. you don't want to use the boom how are you positioning this then you're you have them like a light stand in the background still how I'm um so so We'll say if we're going to talk to people that want to shoot a traditional hair light and don't have a boom arm, uh -huh. the, the main way to get that done is to actually put your stand behind your background okay. and then have the light shooting up and over the background down at the subject. Okay. The problem is stands are only go so high. Right, you usually right. want your background to be pretty high. So um, it can cause a little bit of problems. That's why it, it definitely is easier if you just have... Um, a boom arm that you can keep in front of your background that you then um, boom overhead just a little bit behind the subject um, pointed at their head. What if you, can you try to light it from uh, like the flash on a little foot on the ground? Um, you, you can, the biggest issue that you're going to have there is that you're not going to, um, catch any light on the top of the head, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. creating separation there because you're, the, the back of your head is going to cast a shadow on the top. Uh, maybe if you had it far enough away, you could kind of get a decent rim light all the way around the subject that way. Um, I've actually seen that done many a times with just a bare flash that's sitting on the ground. It can totally be done, um, but it, especially if we're talking about a three-point lighting setup, it's less than ideal. Okay. Um, 
real the other reason for that is that your light is going to be brighter on the lower portions of the body and dimmer on the upper portions of the body so um if we're talking about a headshot you're actually going to be kind of lighting the underside of the arm brighter than you're lighting the shoulders um, if you even get light on the shoulders Um, where if you have the light booming over the head uh, firing downwards you're going to highlight the top of the head and the shoulders um and some of the the hair on either side which is going to just look a little bit nicer but yes so yes and no that's that's the answer (laughs) you wouldn't get the full traditional effect um, yeah, unless yeah. you can raise but this it is up. a way to create separation with a light if you don't have an extra stand or something like that yeah. that is another way that you can go about doing this without just not doing a third light okay and so uh how far up is it is it like a lot higher than the other two um yes uh, it's it's generally a lot higher. We'll say if I'm talking distances and I have my subject um, sitting facing with their belly button right towards me, and I have my other lights placed wherever they are. I have I have my hair light probably a foot to two feet directionally behind them and just up high enough that the light modifier is going to be out of the way. Um, that's, that's the biggest issue that you might find with a traditional hair light is that you have to have this thing up really high. I have, um, I use, I use C stands with boom arms that are super sturdy. And for me to do a traditional hair light, I get nervous and sandbag the heck out of my stands um, (laughs) because it's already, it's boomed out really far and really high up. So you're just throwing off the center of gravity by a lot doing it this way. Um, so usually I would say that the bottom of my modifier is probably, probably still about a, a foot above the head. Um, I, I, end up having to shoot more downwards. I can't shoot upwards quite as much on my subject when I have a traditional hair light in place just because the ceilings are going to become a factor here. And it's not just a matter of getting the light itself above, but you also have to get the light modifier that you're using up above the subject as well. And that, that means that you usually have to have an extra three or four feet. Um, okay. And and so you are modifying this still, you're, you're going to put like a softbox here too. Um, I, I really like using a strip box for this. So that's the, the one that's about 12 inches wide by 56 inches long. Um, I like that just because it helps to wrap around the shoulders a little bit more. You can totally do this and have a, a really nice looking traditional light with just like a bare bulb as well. And it's not to say that I wouldn't use a bare bulb. I just personal preference dictates that I use the strip box over a bare bulb. Okay. And when you say wrap around the shoulders, I've heard you and Erica say this a lot, wrap around. Yes. I can't understand what that is. So tell me what wrap around means. So, so what we're talking about wrapping around something is just that, um, the, the light is going to come out of the modifier. And when we're using a, a softbox in particular, um, it's going to come out in equal directions on all surfaces of that modifier itself. So I want the edges of those modifiers to be outside the area that would otherwise be cast in shadow. Um, so if, if you're using a small light that's overhead, you're gonna have the edges, uh, not edges, the sides, the arms, the, <laughs> the vertical drop point of the shoulder is gonna be caught in shadow um, if you use a small modifier. If I use a large modifier, part of that modifier will be um, casting light on the sides of the arms as well. The vertical portion of your shoulder okay. will um, still be having light um, cast on it. And that's what we're talking about wrapping. So you want light to cast over other areas that might otherwise be in shadow. 
Okay. So it's part of the shoulder, the sides of the shoulders will be lit when you use yes. a strip box modifier versus say the bare bulb. How? Yeah. Versus, and it doesn't specifically have to be a strip box, just any larger modifier. Okay. You're going to have light being cast further out and back in towards your subject um, where a bare bulb, because it's really small, it's going to spread out evenly from this small point and is going to just catch shadows on either side of the shoulders. All right. All right. I think that makes sense. I don't have a strip box. <laughs> I'm going to have to look into getting a strip box. <laughs> it's it, my third favorite thing. Uh, <laughs> my third favorite modifier. All right. Okay. So <laughs> We, I, I think I get where all the lights need to go there. Um, we'll yeah. just reviewing with hair light behind the model, one to two feet behind. High, yes. You have to get it high enough up. It's out of the shot, which is a challenge. And it, yes. it can be straight behind them if you don't have a boom arm. Um, otherwise, it's preferred. Is it, is it preferred to have it on a boom arm if, you, if you've got it? it? It just makes your life a lot easier okay. because then you're not having to fight between getting at the right angle and having the backdrop tall enough and having the stand that's behind the okay. subject. So a little easier if you can, shot. if you can have that yeah. happen. Um, all right. I prefer is the strip box, but a soft box would work too. Uh, you can put a flash on the ground, but you're just not going to get really the same effect. It's going to be, it's going to be different. Yeah. Uh, Shadows are going to be cast in the di in a different direction. Is than it still a worth highlight. putting the flash? If, if, that, if that's all you got, you don't have a stand to put it on at all. Is it still worth putting one flash in the back there? I, I probably would. Uh, it, I uh, there are two ways to think about this. So if I had a flash that I could, uh, I didn't have a stand for it, and I just had a third flash or a second flash in the case that I'm using a reflector. Um, the, the main goal that we're using with a hair light is just to create separation between the subject and the background. So if I wanted to have a really dark background, then yeah, I would probably put it on the floor aimed back at the subject. If I didn't care about how bright or dark the, the background was and just wanted to create separation between the subject and background, I actually might consider turning that flash that's on the ground back around towards the backdrop and lighting the backdrop right. so you create kind of a, a gradient effect in that way. Right. Um, but if the goal is to to keep the backdrop darker then yeah i would probably do it okay okay now my question is how are you let's get to like some camera settings we haven't talked about that at all yet yeah so how do, how are okay. you getting this set up you you want to get the lights to look a certain way you want the brightness as we've described between the key the fill and the hair lights how are you first of all like where's your starting point on your camera settings and what camera settings are you going to be changing as you're working on getting the lighting set up the way you want um, so, so the first thing to consider with lights is that a lot of people own lights that don't have high speed sync capabilities. Right. So what I like to teach and say to other people is a, a safe bet is always to, to keep your shutter speed at a maximum of one one twenty fifth of a second. Um, different sync speeds on different cameras just means that you might be able to go a little bit faster, a little bit slower. Um, but it, it really is just going to depend on on what camera system you have if you have high speed sync i i like to teach that if you set your camera at 1 125th of a second there's no way with any kind of modern camera you're going to be going faster than your um, current sync speed that just being um essentially uh, sync speed is the the speed at which your flash is able to fire from your camera so if you exceed your sync sync speed with your shutter speed um, your shutter will open up and start closing before the flash fires and as a result you end up getting a portion of that 
image that will have a darker bar because that was not exposed by the flash. Right. Okay. So that's that's the main limitation that you have in in that capacity. I like to shoot with as low as an ISO as I possibly can, and. I'm not a, the type of person that likes to shoot wide open. The reason I don't like to shoot wide open is one, I, I think that shooting in the middle apertures look real. It looks nice in studio. It's just the style that I've developed an eye for. Uh huh. Um, but also, that makes it easier for me to adjust both my camera settings and the light settings to get in a nice balanced look. So if I'm shooting at f8 or f11, that gives me room to stop down my aperture a little bit if my light is too bright. Or I could then, of course, go and turn the light down itself. But it allows me to stop down, or if it's not quite bright enough, I can open up just a little bit more. and gives me latitude to move with my camera settings in either direction to allow more of that light to come in okay and i've so I've heard, I, I like shooting i've heard that advice oh, given ahead. a lot that you don't use shutter to change your exposure when you're doing flash yes uh, it's, yes it's only aperture and then iso if you need but only aperture exactly. that really you're going to change and just for beginners stop down it's so confusing <laughs> Stop down Stop does down not mean a lower number. It means a higher number on the aperture. Yeah. Okay. Yes. High, higher number because that means less light is coming through because you have a, a narrower aperture opening right. that's happening there. It has to do with um, ratios. So, so yeah. in general, I, I, if anybody that wants to go and look at my Instagram at Connor Hibbs Photography at Connor Hibbs Photography. You can look in any of my posts. I actually post all of my camera settings. Um, I don't think it's necessarily useful information, but I get questions about it a lot, so I, I include that information. <laughs> okay. And um, if you look at my camera settings, you'll see that I'm almost always at ISO 100, at 1 125th of a second, um, around f5.6 to f11 somewhere in there um, for my camera settings for everything that i shoot the rare changes there are if i'm also shooting film um, which i do from time to time on a shoot if i'm feeling creative and fun <laughs> okay. and the film that i shoot is um is f or iso 400 and the sync speed of my film camera is 1 60th of a second so i'll shoot a little bit slower at a higher iso mm -hmm. just so i don't confuse the numbers at all i can be shooting get everything dialed in with my digital camera and pull out my my film camera and have everything set properly instead of getting confused sometimes that happens when you're mind is on other things um so that, that's the only instance that you'll see my iso or my shutter speed changes if i'm also shooting film so do you start my aperture is always you start um shutter speed 1 1 25th iso 100 and f8 is that where your starting point yep. is okay and usually and then usually you'll right adjust there. from there depending on ambient light or whatever else might be affecting yeah, the photo. Yeah, so when when using a single light in a setup, it's pretty easy to just change the power of the light itself. Um, so if I'm using a single light, then I'll always just adjust the power of the light to match whatever my camera settings are. However, if I'm dialing in all of these different lighting ratios with three lights or four lights, five, whatever it is, if I'm using multiple lights and I get my ratio dialed in right and then realize, you know what, all of this is looking a little bit underexposed now that I'm looking at it more, um, I'll, I'll rather than going and changing all of the power settings on all three lights, I'll just open up my aperture. So I like starting that way with my camera just because it allows me to be in that kind of middle range um, to, to be able to go either direction, lighten everything up or darken everything. Um, it gives me a lot more latitude in that regard. 
Okay. And, and if you do know, like I know my, uh, for the 70 Mark II camera I shoot, I can go two fiftieth of a second for shutter. Yeah. Is there a benefit to doing that or should I stay with one twenty fifth? Does it matter? No, no. If, if you know what your, your sync speed is and you can go there, do it. I, I think on the Canon 6D, it's technically one one sixtieth of a second. However, I've noticed at least with my camera, I get the very, very faintest, like almost imperceivable amount of shutter closing um, when I'm set to one one sixtieth of a second. So I've opened up to one one twenty fifth as a, a standard that I teach everywhere because it's like no matter what, if you're using a modern camera, you're not going to hit it. If you know your sync speed, it's not going to change anything as far as your flash is concerned by um, by speeding up your shutter speed to be a bit faster. Um, it's just going to help to cut out all uh, a bit more of the ambient light in whatever situation that you're in. Yeah. Will it lead to my needing to turn the flashes up any any bigger? So my my primary concern is I'm doing any flash. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I usually pull them out when I'm doing group, large, large amounts of my high school team photos yeah. <laughs> is my example. And I got 300 and kids to take pictures power. of. Um, and I'm worried about my batteries lasting. So I want my flash power as low as I can possibly get it. So will yeah. I have to, does, does having my shutter speed faster mean I'm going to have faster or more power on my lights? No, no, not at all. So in, in the situation that say, instead of shooting a studio setting where I'm cutting out all of the ambient light around me and just lighting with my studio lights, if I'm shooting in a situation where say I was in a gym and I was kind of balancing the ambient light of that gym with my, um, with the power of my flash, then changing your shutter speed is going to make the room, the ambient light of the room darker, but your flash is going to appear to be the same power. Um, and the reason for that is because because you're not cutting off the flash, the flash is actually firing um, and outputting whatever the brightness it is in a matter of one one thousandth of a second or one two thousandth of a second, um, depending on what flash you have. It does vary a bit from system system to system, but it's way faster than the actual shutter speed itself. So um, changing your sh- that's the reason that changing your shutter speed isn't going to change the power output right, okay. or the the intensity of the light from your flash itself. Okay. So it just, it, it, the only effect having a faster shutter speed, if you can, because the speed, the high speed sync is faster would be, you're now yes. going to cut out more ambient light and have, you don't have to deal yes. with that as much. Yeah. Yeah. You'll make your, your room darker or outdoors a little bit darker right. and not have to worry about that in that case. Um, and when, when to step back just a little bit, when we talk about high seeds, high speed sync, all that means is that the flash is enabled to be able to, um, essentially fire off a, a series of flashes that technically your, your shutter is already starting to shut, but it can fire off a lower intensity flash, um, as the, the shutter is closing in a pulsed format, so it'll continue to light um, even at faster shutter speed. So you can actually speed up your um, shutter speed even faster, cut down more ambient light if you wanted to, if you were out in the midday sun or something um, and you wanted to be using flashes but have to have your shutter speed higher because you're already maxing out on other settings. Um, that's, that's the one benefit to that, but you also have drawbacks of um, the the power output of a high speed sync flash set to that mode is much lower than if you were to just be underneath the sync speed. Yeah, and even keeping the lighting even across it because it is pulsing yeah. like that. So the very center mm-hmm. of the photo is probably going to get a little bit more light than the rest of it. You're going to have more light there. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Do you add one light at a time? 
when you're setting this up, do you, you've got your settings, you're going in there 1 25th of a second ISO 100 and F8. And then do you say, okay, I'm going to bring up my key light and I'm going to set it to where it looks good. And then I'm going to add my fill and then I'm going to add my hair or how, how do you go about doing that? So, so how I go about doing it again is going to be a little bit different than how I recommend other people doing it. If you're, if you're just starting out and you have um, a basic set of speed lights or something, absolutely. Um, the, the way I would recommend doing it is set up your key light first, get that dialed in. Um, I, I also like to, if I'm on, um, if, if I'm on speed lights, conserving battery power is definitely important. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but in general, I, I like to advise to set your key light um, at the middle of the road, again, power output. So again, as you're building up your other lights, you can easily move up and down um, towards the ceiling or floor of the power output of your key light um, to match with everything else in your setting. When you're on when you're on limited power, that's a little bit harder to do maybe do a step down from the middle, but have somewhere where you can increase the power just a little bit or decrease the power just a little bit um, in case you need to change that main light and not have to go back and change your other two lights in order to make those things match. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll set, we'll say if I'm using a speed light, I'll set my power output to somewhere around that middle area. And then I will bring the light in closer or further away the distance from the subject to try and make sure that that light is properly balanced with whatever my camera settings are. Um, if I'm going to prioritize the power, the battery saving, the power output of the flash first, then I would just base my camera settings on whatever that power output is. So in that instance, those two are kind of interchangeable as a first step um, for just making sure that your your key light is a neutral exposure, is a, a proper exposure um, compared to what your camera settings are um, for the power output. Are you trying to that, go and, and how are you determining that neutral exposure? Are you looking at a histogram? Are you put turning blinkies man, on I, and making sure you don't have blinkies on the face? What's the how are you trying to determine that? Uh, again, um, maybe I'm different than other people, but to me, I just eyeball it. Um, realistically, when I'm setting all of this stuff, I, I do things a little bit differently because I use a light meter in in the process of all this. So it's not a bad idea to have a light meter to just tell you right where it is. If I'm shooting with a single light, um, I don't worry about that so much because it's easy enough for me to just power up or down to get everything to match. But especially when you're using multiple lights to get the right ratios and just have everything looking properly balanced, having a light meter can be really useful. Um, essentially all that is, is you put in a, a light meter is a tool that you can put in, say your ISO and your shutter speed, fire off the flash. Um, and the meter will read how bright that flash is and what your camera setting needs to be set at for an aperture, um, in order to have a proper neutral exposure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, that so, that shortcuts the process significantly if you can get a light meter involved. Yeah, yeah. It, honestly, if you're using a single light, I would say that it's actually slower to use a light meter than to just oh, eyeball sure, it. Sure. <laughs> but if you're using multiple lights, then then it does become significantly faster and a, a much better shorthand to see, okay, I want my key light to be set at, say, F8. I want my fill light to be set at F5, 6, or something like that. I can just go and power the two of those put put them at the right distance and light meter it rather than just kind of uh. guessing and saying eh, i think that that's about right um when you're having these different power levels okay and if points. they don't have one and they want to use the histogram since or, or the light meter in the camera 
you can't really use yeah. the light meter in the camera, right? There's just that's not going to work. No, no, you you can't. the The light meter in the camera is what is um, a, a reflective right. light meter, so it's metering whatever the reflected light is. And even using the histogram can be kind of hard, um, depending on the circumstances. Because if you're you if you're shooting on an all black background and you just have a, a your subject is in all black clothes and you're just lighting for the face, you're not necessarily going to see the kind of information yeah. that shows that this is a proper neutral exposure um, for their face. I, I would say trusting my own eyes and seeing, okay, this doesn't look completely washed out um, on the back of my camera is going to make, I would lean towards trusting that a little bit more um, because when you're starting to do flash, you're, you're going to have histograms in one area or the other, but you will still one way or the other have a little bit of a spike somewhere towards the middle um, when, when you have the face. So, so one thing that you can do as kind of a, a, a cheat, a hack here is to just zoom in close yeah, on the person's face. That's what I was going to ask. If I cropped and, in or zoomed in right on just their face and took it, now the histogram yeah, is going to show it, me pretty much just their face, and and then I have a good pretty much where that yeah, is. Yeah, good way yeah. to judge it. So, so that's a, a good way to judge it. Again, I think that that's something that pretty quickly, um, even uh, somebody who's less experienced can kind of dial in what they can eyeball as what is right um, from there. Okay, but. Um, but anyway, uh, sorry to, to get back. I sidetracked us with this whole meter, making sure that everything's <laughs> no, proper. That, that was important. I'll, That's what I want. Kind of want to understand. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I will, um, if I am not, if I don't have a light meter with me, I will actually do it one light at a time. So I'll start with my key light. Um, then I'll actually, I'll turn off the key light and go, um, and set up my fill and, get it to about the area where it seems like oh this is a little bit underexposed but it's about what i want it to be because that way i can actually see where the light is falling on the face and if i need to maybe shift that around a little bit then from there i'll turn them both on take a test shot there make sure that the fill compared to the key light looks about right as far as that ratio that i want and then i'll just turn on the hair light that one i don't worry about turning the other two lights off um, i just want to make sure that i dial that in i i have to be much less precise with a hair light than i do with um, my key or fill i just want to make sure that it's a little bit brighter than than the key light without completely blowing out the hair um, and different tones of hair brighter hair is going to reflect more light than darker hair so it'll kind of vary a little bit from person to person and your personal taste um as to where that hair light needs to be set okay all right a couple more questions we're almost we're almost to the end here <laughs> <laughs> okay um high key versus low key photo and it, the thing that's so confusing here is now we're reusing a term in a different way right key Yes. It hasn't, yes. It's it's not necessarily just the key lighting. Is that what, what is the difference? What's a high key photo and a low key photo? Um, okay, so so just terminology wise, key. I don't know the the specific um, root of that term, but it just comes from the, the term for like background. Um, so you'll see stuff that's chroma key, which is that green screen background, and key meaning the, just that background. Um, so anyway. High key means that the overall image is leaning towards the bright side. Um, I, I've seen different definitions. Some people say that high key means a studio shot shot completely on white. That is a pure white. Um, other people are less um, 
strict about that definition. I kind of tend to be in that camp of just a an image that overall is of a brighter tone on average. Um, so it could be a light gray or even just a background that is generally lighter, um, where low key means that your environment, your background is darker. Again, um, some pedants might say that it has to be specifically black, but uh -huh. um, I think that you get fewer people that are pedants about low key and the <laughs> definition than you do um, people that are going to, to nitpick over the terminology of high key. And the reason for that is because with a high key image, especially to get the specifically all white background, um, you have to light the background with its own separate lights. Um, you can kind of cheat that a little bit if you place your subject close enough to the background that you'll create a little bit of a rim light with the same lights that you have pointed towards the background. Um, but the conventional wisdom is that your, I might be wrong here actually now that I'm thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I, your, your, the reflective light, so the light that is bouncing off of the background and hitting your camera from a high-key photo um, has to be two and a half stops brighter than your neutral or, or whatever your, your main light is okay and that should get it to white to my to my eye i think that perfectly high key images that are complete white um oftentimes to me i don't like it i i think it can look a little bit washed out and overboard where i like high key that is kind of a light gray tone i'll still sometimes light the white paper that i'm shooting on to create this high key look but i i won't go to the point where if I turned on my blinkies, you have that paper blinking with white. Uh -huh. um, it, if you go too far in lighting your background, you'll actually lose a lot of the edge details on the edge of the person's head where you'll like get flyaway hairs that look like they were poorly masked out right, right. Um, yeah. in Photoshop I've had that. because yeah. it's, it's <laughs> overexposed in that instance. So the trick is in that instance to get it lit so bright that it turns completely white, but not, brighter than that because your camera is only going to pick up a certain level of intensity so when you go beyond what your camera is perceiving as white then you can kind of blow out and lose the fringes of sure. everything in your image okay um as far as low key uh, that can vary a lot i would say that almost everything that i shoot tends to be low key because i like the look of it and um some people would say it needs to be completely stark black in the background. If you're doing complete black backgrounds, um, the biggest warning that I give people is to make sure that you're adding in other lights um, to be able to create separation between your subject and that background. Uh, because if not, the shadow side of the face, anywhere where there are shadows on the head, is just going to fall off into this amorphous blob <laughs> that is the background. Okay. Um, but low key just generally means a darker image. High key means a lighter image. If you're using the loose terminology that I like to use. All right. Last question. Tell me the difference yes. between a flash, a speed light and a strobe. Okay. So a flash and a speed light, as far as my understanding goes, are the same thing. Um, but, well, same thing, different things. Usually when you're referring to a flash, you're talking about a speed light, which is the small, um, slightly L-shaped light modifier that can you their light source that you can put onto a camera or keep off camera um, that you put batteries in uh, a flash really just means any kind of light source that reaches its peak of intensity 
in a flash. It, it's a bulb that is so bright that if you were to keep it constant, it would burn out instantly um, or very close to instantly. So it has to flash to output the kind of intensity that it has without out putting too much heat and whatnot. Then a strobe um, is is a different type of flash that is connected usually um, to a power outlet. It's a larger unit um, that has a faster recycle time, oftentimes has modeling lights or a constant light that will kind of help to model the way that the light is falling on a subject's face. Um, that doesn't actually show up in the shot itself. It's just there as kind of a guide for helping to place everything and um, tends to have much faster recycle times. Um, I don't know if I already said that actually. <laughs> um, they, the, Benefit of one over the other, a speed light is much more portable, um, but the power output of them is significantly lower for most units than you would find in a strobe. Um, the power output is um, measured in watt seconds, so I, I don't actually even know what speed lights tend to be, um, but I think on the high end, you're looking at around 160 to 250 um, watt seconds for some more decent speed lights, uh, 160 to 180 being like a normal output for a speed light, which is not to say, doesn't mean anything to a person that doesn't understand, but that's to say you're brighter than ambient light for most situations, but dimmer than midday sun, um, dimmer than the brightest natural light that you're going to interact with. A strobe um, tends to range from on the low end of 200 watt seconds to on the high end for this is confusing on the high end for consumer and prosumer grade um, strobes you're looking around 650 640 watt seconds which is to say that it has no problem um, overpowering any normal ambient light situation that you might be in um, so you're going to have a more intense and bright power output possibility from a strobe than you would a speed light, but you're also going to be in a much less mobile unit by having a strobe over a speed light where speed lights, um, less, less intense, but much more portable. Um, other downside being that you have to change out batteries on, on a speed light in a way that you don't really have to on strobes. Um, I use my strobes out in the field as long as I'm not moving around <laughs> a ton. Um, but I'm nuts You are, and I don't mind <laughs> carrying heavy gear with me everywhere I go. And usually this is a situation where I'm just going, planting it down somewhere and shooting for a little bit, not hiking around. <laughs> right. If I'm hiking around, I'll use speed lights as well. Um, but I have, a, I have a very expensive battery that I can run my strobes off of um, that will last me all day pretty easily. Wow. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> 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 all right. I was going to have you go through some gear recommendations, but we are, we're already an hour 10 minutes on this episode so yeah, we're we're crazy overboard sorry for talking no, so much I, I think it's great i yeah i think you really helped me i can't i want to try some more flash now um i've had similar yeah. setups and i've been fairly successful i've managed to like stumble my way <laughs> into some some <laughs> decent shots uh for for portraits but uh i think this will really help me to to maybe uh, make it more consistent and easier to get there. It like, takes me forever to decide that I'm happy with uh, the light setup. And, and maybe now with this instruction, I'm going to be able to do that a little better. Um, I, I hope so. I hope it helps. Yeah. All right. So doodads of the week. I'm going to go first today. And that is the uh, Young Nuo YN564 speed light slash flash. You can call it whichever you like. <laughs> it's about 70 bucks, which um, is fairly inexpensive for a flash. 
and yet still works very well. I've used them for many years now. Uh, I know that I'm seeing some momentum from a lot of listeners and a lot of people towards the, the uh, let's see, the Go, Go, to, Go Diax or Godox. Godox. Uh, yeah, that brand the, the as Godox a, and the Flashpoint system. Yeah, as a fairly uh, inexpensive, it's I think it's a little bit more, but a fairly inexpensive solution that that a lot of them are really liking. And, and there's a quality difference that a lot of listeners are telling me that they just think they're holding up better than the Young Newell ones. But I'm still, yeah, I still love the Young Newell stuff. And, and so that's still going to be my dude out of the week as we talk about lighting is the Young Newell YN 564. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Connor, what do you have? Um, yeah, so I have, um, the company that I like who makes the soft boxes that I like, that was a weird way to say that. Um, I, I love this company called photo Deox. It's F O T O D I O X. I never know if I'm pronouncing it right. <laughs> right. I, I think so. Um, they make, they make a wide range of soft boxes that I absolutely adore um, for their affordability compared to their, um, quality of build. Um, Particularly, they it's kind of confusing. They have two separate lines. One of them is called the Pro line, and those are older style that are way less portable um, because they kind of set up like a, a tent would. You have to lock these poles into place. They take about 10 to 15 minutes to set up each one. The kind that I recommend and love are called the Easy Pro. So it's capital E, capital Z, Pro soft boxes. Um, those are the strip boxes that I have, my Octobox, my, my rectangular um, modifier. I, I just, I love this company and I'm actually working on talking with them about getting a coupon code, um, for myself that I can recommend to people. They don't really do an affiliate program. Um, but they, they do have just general coupon codes. Um, a good buddy of mine and a guy that I am teaching a workshop with later this year currently has a code just through, I think the first or second week of this next month, the first or second week of June, um, that coupon code is for 15% off. If you go to their website, photodeoxpro.com. So that's F O T O D I O X pro.com and use the code Morris M O R R I S zero five 2018 and if you use that you can get 15 percent off i don't think that he sees any benefit of from it i definitely don't but it's a good deal to have 15 percent off modifiers that generally run 70 to 100 dollars anyway that's a good chunk of change for an already really an inexpensive modifier yeah i'm gonna have to go see if i can get a strap box a strip box with that code. That yeah, you absolutely good. should. Yeah. I think that their strip boxes are on the cheaper side for their modifiers too. So no excuses. No excuses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. As a reminder, masterphotographypodcast.com is the new home for the show. And you'll want to make sure you're there and checking it out. Facebook group, you can find us at Master Photography Podcast. If you search for that in Facebook, you should be able to find the group. You can still search for it as Improved Photography Podcast too, if you, if you want to try to find it that way. But Master Photography Podcast, if you search and find the group, then you'll you'll find it and you have to ask to join if uh, we had to keep the spammers and the bots out so we, we ask a question you have to name a host on the show jeff or connor will work um but you you got to answer the question if you don't answer we can't we're not going to accept your your uh, application to join we're not going to say it, let you in uh you can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com that s stands for Susie, my wife jsharmanphotos.com you can also check out my other podcast photo taco would love to have you subscribe and listen to that show and then you can get all the information about that podcast over at photo taco podcast.com connor where can people find you 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Connor Hibbs Photography, on my website at www.connorhibbs.photography, and you can find the other show that I'm a part of, Portrait Session, at portraitsessionpodcast.com, and you can go ahead and go and subscribe over there on iTunes as well. We're starting our new season now. Very good. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you would like to keep the show going, please go and subscribe to the show. That's something that really does help us out if you subscribe. And we will talk to you again in another seven days.